everybody. Welcome back to Gray Malik and Lane, the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. Now, our longer term fans will know every once in a while we do a longer episode where we put one character on trial. I read their whole chronology. I form lots of opinions. I take lots of notes. Uh, I think I have like 14 pages of notes on this character. Uh, and reading everything front to back and putting it all in order is uh, very handbooky of me, I know. But it's one of my favorite things, and I get to spread it out over time. Uh, today, we are going to be working on a character that a lot of people don't give much thought to, which is the Blob, or Fred J. Dukes. A uh, character everybody knows about, but not a lot of people hold in high esteem, at least in my uh, experience with talking to people about this character. Um, before we begin, we're going to have our esteemed panel of jurists, jur jury members, jury people, uh, introduce themselves. Let us know your names, uh, your pronouns, where we would know you from. And then uh, let me hear your favorite blob story if you have one or what you like most about the blob as a villain or as a character. Uh, let's start with one of my very favorite people, Noelle. Hi, Noelle. Hi, I'm Noelle. I host the X-Men Unraveled podcast, she, her. And I think my favorite thing about the blob is his relationship with Unis, the untouchable. Just a lot of fun. I actually felt a little misled when I started reading these comics because he started with the nice sets of kind of who he is and then went into the dark stuff in <laughs> the actual trial section and I was like oh blob is so cute reading about the two of them um and then it kind of went off the rails from there but I think that's my favorite part of his character <laughs> can we just decide once and for all if unless you guys have counter proposals in referencing the blob Eunice relationship can we just call them blueness <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, Everybody's starting to agree with that. Lunas it is. Uh, all right, then let's go to uh, Justin and then Alicia, my uh, regular, incredible, lovely friends from the Ex-Wife podcast. I'm so happy to have you guys here. We are happy to be here. At least I am. Alicia mm -hmm. will tell you she's happy when she's up. <laughs> but my name's Justin. I use he, him pronouns. And we are co-hosts of the Ex-Wife podcast. One man's elaborate scheme to get his wife into X-Men comics that's working. And my favorite, and I was thinking about this, and I got a visual aid as well. My favorite blob is the X-Men Evolution blob. And it is the oldest, one of the oldest action figures that I still have. Uh, I just thought that he had a lot more to him and to his character and, and really got to know him as a guy. And he has cool arm actions and a pudgy belly. <laughs> My goodness. Okay. Hey, everyone. I'm Alicia. I use she, her, hers pronouns. And uh, as Justin mentioned, we are co-hosts of the Ex-Wife podcast. Um, my favorite thing about the blob is that he is consistent and he has tagline. <laughs> so saying I am a mobile, you cannot move me. Like at least he stays true to himself and his life motto throughout everything. I love it. Uh, and then we are joined today for the first time in a jury format, but uh, a regular co-host of mine on on Gray Malkin, uh, one of my very favorite people. I'm saying that about everyone, but I really genuinely love all five of you. I think you're great. Uh, but one of my very favorite people, uh, Miss Gabriella Garbero. Hi, Gabriella. 
Hi. And I'm kind of mad because I was going to say my favorite thing was about his consistency too, but that's okay. I have other favorite things. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> um, so my name is Gabriella. Um, I, my pronouns are she, her, and um, I have a blog called The Girl Who Sits where I talk about disability and I also love X-Men. Um, and my favorite aspect about the blog besides his consistency I think honestly is that throughout the time that he's in comics from the beginning to the end, he just gets bigger and bigger and more and more himself. And I like that about him. I feel like I, I feel like he's always not always having fun, but you know, he's always laughing. And I feel like after reading so much of his stories, I feel like I can hear his laugh and I don't like it. I feel like I, I feel like it's very like guttural, you know, like he's like, hey, 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 all the time. But you know what? He is himself and I respect it. I respect it. I love it. And uh, one of my newer friends uh, through initially Twitter, through the podcast, but uh, more recently has uh, has been on our wonderful episode with Maria Wolf which will be out by the time this trial comes out, but is not released yet. Uh, I'm so thrilled to welcome novelist, uh, Mr. Der Derek Kunskin. I said it right this time. <laughs> Hi, Derek, how are you? Good, good, thanks. Um, I'm Derek Kunskin. I'm the uh, author of The Quantum Magician, The House of Sticks, which are two books that are start science fiction series. And I go by he, him. Um, as far as uh, like, what's one of the favorite things about The Blob is I think his character is interesting to me because he's the guy who's always going to be told to take the gun and leave the cannoli. Like he's never really the brains of the operation. He's always the guy who's like, you know, somehow taking the hit for everybody else and stuff. And um, yeah, I just feel like, um, yeah, he's, he's the sad sack of the uh, ex villains. Uh, and then my name finally is Chad Anderson. I use he, him pronouns. I really like the blob. And I don't know that I liked him as much as I did before reading all of his appearances in a row. So if anyone's looking for a fun way to spend a few weeks, uh, he has lots, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a character study. My favorite versions of him are the most recent ones. I love him as the bartender at the Green Lagoon. I loved him in Leah Williams' Extremist series uh, during the Age of X, where he... Kind of has a big sappy heart, and uh, like there's just a lot of love to him. Uh, I do love his determination. My single favorite version of the Blob, though, is I used to, you know, like in high school, save up twenty bucks, and then we'd go get quarters and go down to the arcade and play that old X Men arcade game. And Blob would stomp all over and shout, "Nothing stops the Blob!" over and over again. And I, I kind of love him from that. <laughs> Consistency. Yeah. Yes, yes. He says the same things over and over. Uh, so we're going to begin with a little bit of a character study on the blob. And as always, uh, I invite any of the jury to offer any comments or observations or humorous quips or banter at any point. Please feel free. Um, I want to. I want to note just as a lead-in. There's some sensitive content. And I'm going to clarify some of my word choices as I go through this first couple of paragraphs. But if there's anyone who is listening <clears throat> who has some feedback on all of this uh, or, or who would like to address the way that we talked about this, uh, please let me know. I am more than open to feedback, and I'm going to try to treat this as sensitively and directly as possible. Okay, so... Historically, in most forms of storytelling, the fat man is the character to either be laughed at or pitied. 
we see being fat as a sign of weakness, someone getting lazy and indulgent or slothful. It's rare to see the fat man as the hero of the story. And if we do, we generally see the fat itself as something to be conquered or overcome. In other words, our hero triumphs over the villain, which is the fat, by losing weight or becoming quote unquote healthy again. Now, I want to note here very quickly, I'm using the word fat as an adjective, a descriptive word, not as a label or an identity. We have a language where there's a lot of synonyms for this word, from bulky to overweight to plus size to big boned. Uh, often these types of words are used to tiptoe around the term fat, which for some reason makes people in our culture uncomfortable. And I don't know why. Every person out there gets to use whatever term they are most comfortable with to describe their own bodies. You can use it as a label or a descriptive word or not at all. For this podcast, I'm going to use the word fat as a descriptor in reference to the blob. But again, I recognize the sensitivity of that term as we move forward. And again, I'm happy to hear from our jury about thoughts about this. Uh, the interesting thing about this is that fat is only one word to describe Blob's character, but in the comics, it's become in ways kind of the source of his identity, rather like the term gay or black or trans or immigrant or disabled will get attached to a character. And it's just one descriptive word, but it becomes kind of everything about them in a lot of ways. Uh, it's, it's a really interesting thing when we attach an, uh, a descriptive word and it becomes someone's identity in any course. But I haven't even started yet and I'm already digressing. Today we are here for the trial of Fred J. Dukes, the blob, who is one of the X-Men's earliest foes, first appearing in X-Men number three. Blob is a fan favorite villain, but nobody's full favorite, at least so far as I have come across. And he is a super strong character who's appeared hundreds of times over the past 60 years. Despite his in-depth history and his complex connection to the world of mutants, he's rarely the featured character in any story. And he's been very given very few uh, nuggets of history or, or in-depth motivations at all. He first appeared in early 1964, taking on the name The Blob, which is a word that's often used to ridicule fat people. Six years before his first appearance, that famous horror movie, The Blob, came out uh, where that giant red slime rolls over the land and consumes everything in sight. So it was kind of a scary word back then, I presume, for some people. Fred was born in Lubbock, Texas, where he was often bullied for his size and picked last for the sports teams. Uh, though his mutant powers kicked in when he was a teenager, he didn't realize for a long time that he was a mutant. He had extreme bulk and super strength and personal control over his own gravity, so long as he remained in physical contact with the ground. He also learned that his bulk can absorb and redirect things that are thrown at him or fired at him, uh, bullets and cannonballs. Somebody punches him, he can trap their hand in his, in his fat cells uh, and not release it until he chooses to. Fred dropped out of school after the seventh grade. As an adult, Fred found that women regularly rejected him due to his size. He tried joining the Circus of Crime, but they turned him down, and so he took a job at a carnival. There they provided him with food and lodging and employment, but they also regularly exploited him, emphasizing his size and allowing the public to ridicule and abuse him as he demonstrated his powers for money. They only charged a quarter initially, and again, 1960s, to see him perform, and they called Fred the Blob. As uncomfortable as this existence was for him, it was one of Fred's choosing and he made it work, seeing it better as the alternatives around him. Uh, when the X-Men first approached Blob, he was gruff and difficult and cocky, an understandable presentation in my opinion, given the amount of adversity that he'd been through on a daily basis. Uh, 
During this encounter, he realized he was a mutant for the very first time. And he had a surge of confidence and a growing sense of entitlement, immediately feeling like the world owed him something. Fred seized control over the entire carnival, immediately feeling like the world, oh, excuse me, Fred seized control over the entire carnival, allowing himself to believe that he was better than all of them. And then he took them to fight the X-Men with him, almost winning in a bizarre, crazy battle that involved a giraffe shoving its head through the window to eat Iceman's ice cream. That's all we need to say. Fred's carnival was dispersed at the end after they nearly defeated the team, and Professor X erased Fred's memories of the X-Men and even of being a mutant. A pretty Classic cool Charles. direct response. Yeah, he was a dick back then. <laughs> Uh, and Fred went back to the carnival. In subsequent years, we've seen Fred really try hard to find a place to belong, a purpose with his goal of self-preservation always being right on top. He's respected only a few leaders like Mystique, while others he has notably just tolerated like the Toad. And then he's gone on to only have a couple of close friends, really only Pyro and Eunice, which in that last one we'll call Blueness. Uh, it's a relationship believed by some to be kind of gay in nature. And Fred has deeply grieved when he's experienced loss. He can be cruel or revenge driven. Um, he'll find fights with superheroes, sometimes teenagers, to be almost amusing. He laughs all the time, as Gabriella noted, and he definitely has a significant temper. He can be downright creepy and predatory in some of his appearances, but he's also got a lot of heart. When M-Day happened and he lost his powers, Blob was trapped in a body that just had excess skin everywhere. Uh, and he went through waves of depression and desperation. Then he briefly became a, cel a celebrity after undergoing weight loss. Then he became desperate to reclaim his power, turning to drugs and some pretty significant cruelty for a time. During the Age of X-Men, we saw a different side of Blob. He was placed in a different role. His identity was rewritten and he became a government investigator where we saw a very sensitive uh, side of his, of his personality come out. He formed a very deep emotional bond with Betsy Braddock. And his nature since then in the age of Krakoa has seemed more balanced. So perhaps the age of X-Men had a significant impact on the Blob's psychology. Now he's working as the bartender at the Green Lagoon and he's forming lots of friendships and relationships with other mutants. Despite all of these appearances, there's not a lot of character exploration, not a lot of backstory and only a couple of significant relationships. He's often used as the powerhouse member of the mutant team or the villain, or he's the formidable yet pretty easily defeatable threat for an issue or two of, of a, a, a solo or team book along the way. Over the years, he's been a member of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants in various incarnations, the Villainous Defenders Team, Freedom Force, XL, the Horsemen of Salvation, and the Extremists, but never has he been on the X-Men. Uh, he was also briefly known as Bounty when he was part of the uh, the Horsemen of Salvation team. I don't know that he's ever had any other code names. Uh, so before we kind of begin picking apart his character a little bit, let me hear some of your thoughts on his psychology and motivations as we've covered so far. What do you what do you, what comes to mind when we talk about the Blob in this way? Is everybody comfortable with? the word fat as a descriptive word. I want to recognize again, the sensitivity around that, but sometimes I feel like it's best just to address it out loud. Yeah. I mean, it's such an interesting thing because for me personally, like growing up in the dance world and I've actually been having conversations with people about like my experience in college and um, things that happened 
that included like fat shaming dancers for like, you know, being on, being on stage and saying, oh my God, that costume looks terrible on you because you look fat. So you're bringing down the whole group and, and having to sign contracts saying that I wouldn't gain any weight and things like that. Like I have, I guess, a sensitivity to the word, but I wouldn't say that like, I'm not okay with it. I think it just, it holds a lot. It holds, I was going to say it holds a lot of weight. Um, that kind of made it humorous, but it's, it's just an interesting perspective to be in a place now where I am more mature and I have a better understanding of my own self-worth and, and where my appearance falls on that, you know, scale of what, how, how does that play into my self-worth? But Knowing that that about him as a character and a human or a person, he's not a human, he's a mutant. Um, knowing that about him and understanding that that's the first thing that people tend to um, comment on or what he is always known for. And in any attack situation or in any battle, the thing that, you know, the opponent always throws at him is that he's fat, right? His weight or his appearance. And having had experiences with that word in my life, it kind of gives me a a sense of compassion towards why he is the way he is, you know? And this is definitely going to come into play in one of my arguments later on. Um, But just this idea of finding a group of people who you fit in with for something else, like for being villainous, right? This idea that he finds connection with these people for this thing when he's not able to find connection in so many other ways. And then struggling between finding a connection with people, but then those people that you feel connected with still also joking about the thing that you feel super self-conscious about. Then you also joke about that thing because it makes it feel like it's okay. And you found these people who accept you, but they're still going to call you fat. So then you're going to go as far as to name yourself the blob. So then you kind of try to take ownership of this thing that everybody defines you with. And it's just a really interesting thought of how, you know, going back and reading the comics, one of the things I always comment on when I get the pleasure to be on this show is the, the, uh, way that women are talked about and then reading through all of these comics. And the fact that the first thing we're going to do is talk about the way the blob looks. And we're going to talk about how that is his downfall. And that's going to be the initiation of every fight and everything. It just, to me was reading it saying, would they, would they write comics like this anymore? Knowing the worlds that we live in now and knowing how, um, you know, we're, hopefully trying to move towards a place where like everybody is beautiful and people are who they are. And we're not focusing so much on that as it's as a definition of what makes you a value to society. Um, I wonder if that has anything to do with how his character has developed and how writers have chosen to write him because they're trying not to make it just all about his size. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, Let's go. Noel, Gabriella, Derek. Yeah, the thing that really stuck out to me is how the heroes are the ones like constantly throwing the negative terms at the blob. And like, these are supposed to be the good guys. 
And when you think of superheroes and you just heroes in general, there's a body type that you associate with that. And it's interesting going back, you know, the blob is, has been around since the very early issues, how his villainy is so clearly depicted at the time by his difference in body shape. And it's so uncomfortable to read um, and to see and to just see the heroes attacking him for that when it's just who he is. It's actually part of his powers. It's what makes him so strong. And I work in the eating disorder world and the term fat is such a scary word to a lot of people. Um, and it's a negative word and a podcast um, that I listen to maintenance phase. I don't know if anybody, has, any of you have heard it, but um, one of the hosts, she describes herself as fat and it's a word that she has grappled with over her life and has just learned finally just <laughs> despite society to accept that that is part of who she is. And it's been a way for me to kind of marry the things that I see in my work and the discomfort that people feel with the term fat or feeling fat or seeing themselves as fat and learning to treat everybody as of value and of respect. And so I, I was torn when I was reading the comics as is Blob, is the Blob using his the term or his title, the blob, as a defense mechanism, or has is this something that he's truly accepted about himself? I really haven't been able to come to a conclusion on that, but it's just something that really stood out to me. Is he, you know, is he sort of a paragon of self-acceptance, or is he still struggling with how other people see him and how people saw that as making him a villain because he's so different than everybody else. Gabriella? Yeah, I think the blob is a really good example of what can happen when you're multiply marginalized and you don't have a solid support system in any group. Because, I mean, what can happen, it doesn't always happen, obviously. But, um, you know, I think like a lot of what I was struck by when I was reading and trying to defend things I didn't really want to defend um, when we get to one of my sections. Um, I think his isolation from other people is like a really big cause of a lot of his negative characteristics. You know, you can look at like the reasons that he like, which we'll get to when I have my thing, but um, the one of the reasons that he, you know, joins groups that are trying to destroy the world can be because he finds a lot of like support in those groups and he didn't find it in the X-Men even before you know when he first appeared before he even became a semi-villain if he even really is a semi-villain he um you know was being called fat <laughs> it wasn't nice like like Noelle said it's like kind of such a sad thing to see and especially back then like from a meta perspective you know for a really long time we've used physical difference including disability including weight including all kinds of things as a visual signifier of being bad that's just something that we always 
have done as a storytelling device. Um, and I think that is that maybe retroactively as the series went on and that became less and less okay, they started to kind of add more depth to his character in good ways and bad ways, because I think a lot of his negative characteristics were retroactively added. Um, like the way he treats Jane is like not cool, which I know we'll get to. Um, and I think that it wasn't that bad in the beginning. Like it kind of was, but it wasn't, it wasn't so offensive that you immediately thought he was a villain. You could have just been like, Ooh, gross. Okay. Don't do that anymore. And I think if he had been accepted into the group, if they had said, hey, dude, don't do that anymore. That's really messed up that you're like talking to her that way. She's like 16 or whatever. I think like he would probably be like, well, okay. I don't know. I just, I feel like I know him now. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think, I think I agree with what you both said. It's sort of a weird situation because you can kind of blame a lot of things on the fact that he's marginalized, but then you have other people who are marginalized who don't do things like what he did. So it's sort of, it's hard to figure out what part of him to kind of put that responsibility on. Mm -hmm. Derek. Yeah. I, I, uh, I liked Alicia's point as to whether this would be depicted in the same way now in modern comics. And I think we like the, the fat phobia of the, the comics we're reading is an antique characterization. And I think, you know, contemporary to that, you've got the way Baron Harkonnen was characterized in Dune, like he was fat and gay, like, you know, back then two big things to quickly characterize somebody as villainous, right? Which is totally not okay. Um, and I, I think the the context you provided, Chad, was really good because um, I, I think we have to use the words, like the, the fat as the way you contextualized it, because it is part of the discourse and it is the root of that unkindness about you're different from us, therefore we can bully you. And then that this is a root, uh, like one of the formative roots of, of uh, Blob's character. Justin, anything you wanted to add? Uh, it's a really interesting conversation just about how, what, what the influences are on his identity and his point of view. And especially at the beginning, and it might just be because he's had to make terms with it and, and to become who he has become, but he, he has a sense of pride in his inability to be moved and, and to, to really dig into the things that have become definitive of himself, whether that is by his own accord or because of repetitive enforcement from those around him. Uh, it, it seems as though I, I would be interested to know, especially during that time, like where he was at emotionally or like, you know, to really dive into his mentality, because I feel like to Alicia's question, that's why you haven't seen anything like that with the blob in the last handful of years. Right. You know, he, he's had the age of X-Men story. He's had now this, this new lease on life as the bartender in Krakoa. If the green lagoon existed in the sixties, you know, who would Fred Dukes be today mm -hmm. being able to just be that, that friendly ear to people and and work stuff out because he's gone through some stuff as well. I would love a story that explores his early origins and shows us where he comes from. Yeah. But uh, I grew up in a world that told me I was broken for being queer. I was bullied for being queer. I was silenced for being queer. And I was taught to be ashamed of being queer. 
And when I finally came to terms with being gay and opening up to that, people would warn me like, oh, don't step too far into that world. You're going to be like, it's going to be dangerous. And no, like that's, that's a huge piece of my identity. And I'm going to learn to be proud of myself. And I think there's a clear division in Bob's Blob's character. I'm going to keep saying Bob on accident in a Blob's character early on, where he's a guy who was bullied his whole life for being fat. Uh, but his fat in a weird way is what made him special because he's a mutant. And that's literally what his power is to be able to redistribute uh, control his sense of gravity and channel it into strength and resistance, right? So you see a point where he immediately upon learning, well, first he drops out of school, takes a job as uh, someone who is bullied for a living. And then when he learns he's a mutant, there's an immediate sense of superiority. But it's not until he makes a friend, which we're going to talk about in a second, that he finally starts to be comfortable in his skin. Uh, so there's some redeeming qualities about him, although he's a huge asshole a lot of the time, obviously, as well. So I want to I want to focus on the positive pieces of his character before we put him on trial for the shitty sides. And after reading through this, I picked six key issues that I'm going to summarize very briefly. I, I would encourage our listeners to go back and read these because it's going to give you a very different sense of the blob when you read them in order, especially about who he is and what he's capable of. So let me review these quickly and then I'll turn it back to the jury for some more commentary. Blob's first appearance is in X-Men number three. The carnival barker announces the Blob, and he comes out in a red and purple cape, putting on a show for the public. The barker yells, all right, folks, here's our main attraction. What you've been waiting for, the one, the only, the unbelievable marvel of the age. For only a quarter, the fourth part of a dollar, you can step inside and meet the Blob. You won't believe your eyes when you see the feats the Blob can perform. Don't buy a ticket if you're squeamish. Strong men have been known to faint when the Blob performs. Blob strips down to his shorts and lets people try to move him, then lets the public watch as a man fires a gun and bullets bounce off of him. Later in his trailer, the X-Men approach the Blob, and he's completely disinterested in them until Cyclops assaults Blob for flirting with Jean Grey, who, yeah, was a teenager, but it's also possible that Blob was a teenager. Just tossing that out, we don't know. Blob goes back to the X-Mansion and demonstrates his powers uh, and Iceman immediately calls him a chubby little shrinking violet, the first evidence of fat shaving from heroes that we see. Xavier invites Blob to join the X-Men, but when Blob refuses, the X-Men immediately attack him, saying he can't be allowed to leave with his memories. So Blob fights his way free. He returns to the carnival and yells, for years I thought I was just an extra strong freak, but I found out what I really am. I'm a mutant, understand? I'm one of homo superior, and that means I'll run this show from now on. Blob led an aggressive response against the X-Men, spouting how he might be able to rule all of humanity now, but he was defeated while being called names like Big Man and Chubbins, and then Professor X wiped his mind of being a mutant and sent him back to the carnival, which is the worst punishment for him. In X-Men number eight, Magneto and the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants try to recruit the Blob. They restore, he gets his memories restored because he hits his head, and he agrees to help them fight the X-Men, who continue to taunt him with names like Diapers and Chubbins and Pudgy. In the end, Magneto considers Blob collateral, fires missiles at him and the X-Men, and the Blob ends up saving the X-Men, protecting them from the explosion with his bulk. As the fight ends, Blob yells, I'm through with mutants, through with fighting other people's fights. I'll never trust anyone again. I've no hate left in me. I'm just weary. I'm going back to the only place where I belong, to the carny. I've lived a sideshow freak, and that's how I'll die. Cyclops presumed as Blob walked away that Blob hated being a mutant. In X-Men number 20, Eunice the Untouchable set up a boxing ring, challenging people to face him for money, and Blob entered the ring for fun. 
Eunice immediately called Blob names like Hippo and Blundering Fatso, but they found a mutual respect in each other, understanding, or possibly an attraction. It's never stated to be gay, but there's certainly something about the shirtless wrestling and the cuddling date that follows that seems to lean toward that. Blob needed a friend, however. Not realizing that Lucifer was mentally manipulating him, Blob and Eunice dressed as X-Men and robbed a bank, and Blob seemed to enjoy using his strength and power to taunt the humans who had always taunted him. In Marvel Fanfare number seven, we see Blob running his own carnival, careful to keep everyone in line. Eunice's powers have gone out of control, repelling even food and oxygen from him. And Blob vows to take care of Eunice, calling him his best friend and feeding him by forcing his way through the field to get him food. I think the unfortunate word penetrate is used here <laughs> as he breaks through the force field. Uh, later, the Hulk arrives and Blob is mad when Hulk calls him fat. Blob confidently sparred with the Hulk until Hulk ripped him off the ground and threw him. And soon Blob was overwhelmed, inspiring Eunice to rush against the Hulk, who soon departed. Eunice's powers were back in, back in control and they depart with the carnival together. But in Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man number 91, Blob leaves the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants to tend to Eunice, whose powers have acted up again. Eunice has gone without eating for days, and the field has stopped him from breathing. Blob is with Eunice when he dies, cradling his body. In his grief, he turned his anger back on humans and began randomly destroying property. Black Cat and Spider-Man attack him, immediately commenting on his cellulite problem and calling him the Pillsbury Doughboy. Blob was humiliated by Black Cat's bad luck powers. He fell through the ground and was soon doused in soup. And then rather pathetically, he walks away from the fight, sits down in the middle of a busy traffic street and starts sobbing his eyes out about the loss of his only friend. So we're looking at some positive portrayals of Blob as a more emotional person. Tell me some of your thoughts about him. We'll get to the bad sides in a minute, but tell me just, some of your thoughts about him as you hear these summaries. I just got so sad for him. I just, I, I, I love him. I want to give him a big hug. That image of him sitting in traffic and crying yeah. is the saddest thing I've seen in comic books. Yeah. Uh, Derek, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I think uh, his friendship with with Eunice is adorable, um, and it always has been. And I think that's like one of the strengths of of what Marvel, all, like from the '60s, they they had they were able to put a sort of tragic element into the villains, and so it it made them more human. And uh, and I think that that's right on display with the Blob. And so no, just that that friendship is something really cool. I think it's also really sad how often he's just like misunderstood. Um, you know, like when when he says like, I'm going to go back to the carnival because I'm just a sideshow freak and that's how I'll die. And then Cyclops is like, wow, he really hates being a mutant. It just like made me be like, no, he doesn't. He just doesn't want to do it with you. Like, it's just so sad because like, I really feel like He's not even allowed to love himself in the way that he actually like wants to because he doesn't do it the right way. And like that on top of every time he interacts with people, they like call him names. And like, of course, you wouldn't want to be a part of that group. They're just mean to him, you know. And I don't know. I, I just I also just thought it was funny that it was Cyclops saying that because he's like kind of like Professor X's like number one boy. And I just think, like, the fact that he didn't understand, like, 
No, it's not that he hates being a mutant. He just doesn't want to be like a slave to other people was like kind of ironically funny because Cyclops doesn't get that because that's what his whole thing is. That's his whole Mm. personality. I may be overdrawing the parallel again, but coming out, I learned, I grew up hating gay people because that's what I was taught, but I desperately wanted to belong. Right. So if the first group of gay people to try to quote unquote, recruit me, treated me really shitty and erased my memories, I'm going to be like, fuck you guys. And then the other big group of gay people recruit me, but then they toss missiles at me and knock me aside and say, you're collateral. I could easily see myself walking away and being like, well, fuck the gays. I'm not doing that anymore. (laughs) Like I can, I can kind of understand Blob in those early appearances. But well, then he makes a friend and it's a different character after that for a while. Yeah. yeah. And the same thing used to happen for people who actually were in carnivals, like people who were disabled, who were like the quote unquote, like sideshow freaks. They were all friends with each other because anytime they tried to leave and, you know, be part of other groups or be part of the larger community, they were just treated horribly. And so the carnival, the carnival was the only place that they were, safe and accepted among people like them because they weren't all like one homogenous group they were different people with like a diverse set of characteristics and a diverse set of needs and so they were able to accommodate each other because they were in it together and they didn't have to be competitive about it but it feels like with sorry but it feels like with the x-men it's like if you don't fit a box you're not going to be a part of the x-men oh yeah that makes me mad Yeah. And I, I mean, I think the whole carnival thing is such a, you know, it's, it's all about perspective, right? Like from the outside, people are like, I'm gonna go to the carnival because I'm going to point and laugh and like, ooh, and ah, at these people who are different. But when you're on the inside of that, and you finally find a group of people who celebrate your differences, like each of you is highlighted for what makes you special. And you would think that that would be how he would maybe perceive the mutants to react, right? Like each of us should be celebrated for what makes us special. But then you go into that interaction and you're automatically like shamed again and and treated poorly. You're going to go back to the people who embrace the things that make them different and celebrate them. And, you know, it's unfortunate that you have to have this spin of, flaunting your difference in a way that is like uh, you're a freak but I'm sure there's a sense of you know community and camaraderie that comes along with the people who are in that group you know and and finding that and then being finding a person outside of that group who whether it's romantic love or just love like they really love each other and they really understand each other and when you find that one person and then you connect with them and then you lose them, you really lose your sense of self. So I think it's an interesting kind of perspective on, on his journey of like figuring out who he was and how to celebrate who he was. Uh, Noel and then Derek. Yeah. So I thought the comment by Cyclops about, Oh, he doesn't want to be a mutant was just such a huge level of projection because he is all Cyclops is always in the middle, at least at that point of, I hate my powers, I'm going to hurt somebody, blah, blah, blah. But that, finding out he was a mutant was a great moment for Fred to be able to say, ah, this is what I am. This is, this is how I'm, this is why I'm special. This is why I am the way I am. And Cyclops just totally missed that he has a group of people that accept him with this very dangerous power 
and he's actively rejecting and not giving uh, the blob what he needs. And reading it just sort of in one long piece, you can kind of see how how Fred turns into the the bartender. Because when you read these stories, especially, you see what's kind of always been there in him, these positive parts of his personality. And when he's out doing something villainous, usually he's alone. He's not being accepted. He doesn't have any of that support. And that support is what he needed this whole time to become who we see him as now on Krakoa. Yeah, I, I I would add to that that like on that um in that initial meeting, you know, the X Men handled it poorly, uh, but at the same time, part of what like in addition to being treated poorly, what the X Men were offering is here's Professor X's dream and ideology, right? You know, we're going to risk ourselves to protect people who who you know hate and fear us, and Blob would have no reason, like especially given the bullying he's he's suffered all his life. Like, and then Xavier's offer is here. You can risk yourself for the bullies that have been persecuting you this whole time. I mean, it's it's not a great deal. So it's it's just an interesting uh, sort of set of of incentives around around that decision he made right at the beginning. I think for all humans, we have to make a choice at some time, even if we were bullied, if we are going to bully other people. And he is a huge bully. <laughs> we're going to talk about a lot of appearance in this, which is he, in which he is not a very nice person as much as we may want to sympathize with him. Uh, and we'll, we'll of course, hold that, uh, uh, all of that in, close to our chest as we make our decisions regarding voting today. Um, uh, I was going to read a section about the Blob's powers. I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm just going to say he's a really powerful character when used in the right ways. Uh, I think he's really impressive in so many of his appearances, uh, depending on how writers treat him. Uh, I think he's fantastic. He's, he's a really, really great character. Uh, final thoughts before we shift into the trial portion of our uh, conversation today. Anyone really else have great. thoughts on the blob or anything I just had to say? Yeah, um, you know, I, I do really like getting to know this side of him the the side that has this this depth and emotion and and even the the things that he's experienced um but i do want to underscore that he's a super villain and we are putting him on trial because he's done terrible terrible things and he's guilty of super villainy <laughs> he's already begun he's already campaigning we haven't even started yet We've been kind to Juggernaut and Magneto. We can find some room in our hearts for Blob, even though he's a huge asshole sometimes. <laughs> Any other thoughts? I don't think that he could ever really be a... I'm going to say this, but I'm going to qualify it. I don't think that he could ever really be a part of X-Men in the way that you described, Chad, because I don't think philosophically he would agree based on his upbringing and based on like how he was before he like found out quote unquote that he was a mutant i don't think he um i just i'm sorry i lost my hope i thought because i was looking around uh let me quantify that really quickly while you're thinking uh i think blob and cyclops have a lot in common at least in their early portrayals, I think they both are orphans who've been rejected, who have probably some tragic past. 
Uh, and at the same time, they're often defined by their powers and how they can't stand out from humanity. So I think that's kind of where my thoughts went when I said that statement about he's the leader of the X-Men and other reality. Because Cyclops is defined by his optic glass and his need to cover them. Those early 60s appearances, he's constantly thinking, I'm going to hurt somebody. Uh, and Blob constantly stands out and is unable to blend in. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I find a parallel there that's interesting. But he's able to cover them. And that's where I think the difference is. Sure. Like, I think with the Blob, like, it's a lot easier to be called names all day if you're getting paid to do it, which is why I think he gravitated towards being a carny where as like with scott he was able to hide his stuff and i think like it would be harder if i was in fred's situation to like be like oh well you know yep i'm a freak and yep i get missile shot at me all day but you know i just do it for the country like i don't really see him as being that kind of person when he knows that the alternative is there to you know actually be in a positive group that isn't mean to him. I don't know. One thing I'll say quickly too, and actually just occurred to me, I don't think I read a single appearance where he is ashamed for being fat. He doesn't like the way people treat him for being fat, but there's no thoughts of him saying, I wish I could be skinny with the exception being after he lost his powers. And then he, he became that like weight loss icon for just a second. If you guys remember that weird uncanny X-Men story, but then he immediately goes back to seizing his powers by using mutant growth hormone again. Uh, I, I, I kind of admire that he just kind of loves himself even at the expense of other people. Uh, with that, are we okay to move forward with the trial? Now, Blob has a long chronology. I want to be very clear. We are not covering comprehensively his entire chronology today. I've organized five sections of different snapshots of his history, uh, divided up, and we're going to put him on trial for those today. We will vote after each one. There are five sections. I will give references here, but these will be loose and quick summaries. And then our jury members have been assigned different sections to prosecute and defend as we do this, we want to recognize that he is often portrayed as a supervillain, almost always. Uh, we are going to pick some of his most egregious crimes and lump them into a few isolated sections. I automatically ruled out almost any time he was under the mental influence of others, like X-Man or Miss Sinister in the Mother Vine story, and most of the times when he was sanctioned by the government, because there was a long time when he was working for Freedom Force and registering mutants against their will. I ruled out all but the worst of those stories. And there's a couple of real bad ones we're going to see in just a minute. Uh, so as we're going through this, uh, keep note for our voting. And this is for all the jury members, but anyone who wants to vote at home too. After each section, you will vote one through five on how culpable you believe Bob, Blob, I keep saying Bob, God damn it, how culpable you think Blob is in his section. Now I have the image of him singing karaoke on Krakoa where he's singing blah, 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 brand, which is amazing. First thought. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so in this section, you'll or after each section, you'll vote one through five. So one means you find his actions mostly justifiable. Two, they are morally concerning. Three, they are definitely inappropriate. Four, they are over the line into criminal behavior. And five, we're just calling pure evil. Uh, so I will keep score as we go, and then we will give him a final total at the end. Trial point one. And in this section, we have Justin on prosecution and Gabriella on defense. And I did this on purpose because you're both lawyers. 
So have a good time. Okay, so in this section, we're just going to call it world domination. Angry at being defeated, rejected, and manipulated by Magneto and the X-Men, and being attacked and humiliated by humans, Blob joined fellow mutants Eunice, Mastermind, and the Vanisher in serving the Changeling and the Mutant Master as part of the villainous group Factor 3, which we've covered extensively on Grand Malkin Lane recently. Over a period of months, they established a base in the Alps and begin planning to set the United States and Russia against each other in a nuclear war, with plans to let mutants reign over the planet after. The group arranged for the kidnappings of Professor X and Banshee, and then captured the young X-Men, with Blob and the others voting in a trial format to put the heroes to death. Factor 3 disbanded when they realized the mutant master was an alien with world domination goals. Soon after that, so that storyline was in X-Men Volume 1, numbers 37 through 39 primarily. Soon after that, Blob joined with Magneto and the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, and they created Alpha, the ultimate mutant, a creature with whom they planned to dominate the entire Earth. They demanded that the United Nations grant mutants their own country or be destroyed, and they battled the defenders. But in the end, Alpha turned the Brotherhood reverting, uh, turned against the Brotherhood and reverted them into babies. And Baby Blob is real cute. We'll post an image of him later. Uh, and that was in Defenders Volume 1, numbers 15 and 16. So let's turn it over to Justin for the prosecution. My esteemed jury members, I want to talk to you about the Blob, fueled by vengeance with the intent to create world war and commit murder. That's what we're talking about today. At this point, the terrorist mutant known as the Blob had been thwarted time and time again by our X-Men heroes. The same heroes who offered him a home with them, a place with the X-Men team. And yet he has repeatedly refused, wanting them dead. Beaten, embarrassed, and holding a grudge, he went to settle a score and get what he thought he deserved. In both accounts in question here today, the defendant joined forces with evil, powerful villains seeking world domination. He's quoted as saying that defeating the X-Men might be enough to make him happy that he joined Factor 3, even if it wasn't also going to make us rulers of the world. Intent, motive, action. Now, associating with evil villains, doing villainous activity, plotting to take over the world, that could be enough. But the fact that the Blob ditched his compatriots not for a better way or upon a righteous realization, but for his own self-interest. When he left the X-Men with a bomb set to explode, he had full awareness of what he was doing, vowing to, quote, watch the fireworks from a safe distance. After all, it's set to blow in just a couple more seconds. Is there anything redeemable to be found in these actions? I conclude that there is not. But who am I to judge? For judgment, we turn to the pure, innocent mind of Alpha a mutant created to be manipulated and used, one that the Blob knowingly aided Magneto in bringing to life in his pursuit of power. Realizing that Magneto and his team were the ones up to evil, Alpha judged both sides of the fight, deeming the Brotherhood as arrogant and untrustworthy, push, punishing them for their relentless aggression by de-aging them to babies. Now don't let the childlike demeanor fool you. He will strike again. And Gabriella. I feel kind of intimidated because I don't have a speech prepared. He but always I do. Does that. But 
Yeah, why did it show me up? It's fine. Oh my gosh, my cat just jumped into the screen. Sorry. Um, so I have a question. What gives the alpha mutant the right to decide that it's okay that, you know, the people who he doesn't agree with can be turned into babies? Because I think that's a violation of their bodily autonomy. And it just puts him in a position where there's no due process rights, which they did give to the X-Men. They had a trial. So I don't really understand why the Alpha X-Man, you know, was was the was the number one guy in that situation. Um, so my position is, and I will prove um, by giving evidence from uh, scholars of social theory that um, the blob was radicalized and he was radicalized according to Tarnby's eight-stage recruitment process of violent extremism. First, he was individually alienated and marginalized. Okay, we already know that. Everybody fits that criteria in the X-Men, right? They are pushed away from society. They're put into their own group. Okay. Step number two is a spiritual quest. We know he had that with being a part of the carnival, having friends who were like him, and finding a place that he could be accepted by other people who were like him. Number three, a process of radicalization. We don't see that, but we know it happens because you don't just wake up one day and decide that you're going to destroy the world because I don't think anybody would want to rule over ruins. Nobody would. But he was pushed to the end of his rope. Number four, meeting and associating with like-minded people, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. We got that done. Gradual seclusion and self-formation. We got that because they're a Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Acceptance of violence as legitimate political means, which I'm going to get back to in a second. Connection with a gatekeeper in the know, which we have. And then finally, going operational, which is the part that we see in the comic. So in both of these situations, in the one where he's a part of Factor 3 and the one where he joins the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and um, goes to the United Nations, that's two examples of them trying to engage in the political process and the political process not helping them and not even listening to them. If you recall in... Um, X-Men 37 to 39, I think. He, um, they go to the Eastern Front or wherever it is in that part of history, I don't know. Um, and they uh, try to talk to the people who have the weapons and they immediately get put in jail. So obviously nobody's listening to mutants. And I feel like, while it doesn't make it okay for him to want to dominate the world, it does make sense because since the beginning of America, when we were, you know, fighting for taxation with representation instead of without, I think we've once again, like again and again throughout history, we've rewarded people who have taken things into their own hands and gotten their independence and Later on, when he joins the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to just create their own land. They're not really trying to kill anybody. But once again, they're told that 
no, they can't have any rights and they should just go away or go to jail or go die and nobody really cares. So I feel that if they wanted to help the blob and make him not a violent extremist, um, there are five key dimensions of effective responses to violent extremism. One is inclusion. We know they're not going to do that for him. Any, but nobody is. The X-Men won't. Um, resilience, meaning, you know, you have to let him win something and he doesn't. He just doesn't. Um, partnership with other people who are better than the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, which he's obviously not going to get. Procedures. So procedures in the political process that respond to him. And then a continued sense of safety and well-being. And he doesn't have any one of those things. So, you know, the, the label of terrorist is slapped on to people who, um, who are against the status quo. You know, Americans were thought to be terrorists when the revolution was happening. Um, but I think really he's just engaging in the American dream. The end. I like how Gabriel's like, I feel embarrassed I don't have a speech. And now here's my very impressive speech. <laughs> That's what you got to do. You got to like put expectations low and then blow them over the top. Fine. Blow them away. Yeah, I love it. Both arguments. Very compelling. I want to note really quickly from my side, there are two separate storylines right around these stories where mutants are captured by sentinels like on mass and like put into stasis and like with the threat of extermination. Uh, I do think there's some compelling reasons for both. interesting. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. It kind of happened. So they were right victimized, okay. but not excusing world domination attempts. <laughs> and he definitely was trying to murder. Like there was intent to kill. He yeah, he yeah. specifically wanted to kill the X Men. Uh, what points? Oh, I'm sorry, Noah. Go ahead. It was like they were kind of rude. I mean, I rude. Yeah, yeah. They were. Murdered yeah. for rude. Yeah, I was. He was I, I about to be that. He was about to be murdered because he was fat. So let's be real about this. He was under no Nobody threat. Nobody is justified. He was never threatened. There was uh, no attempt to murder on him. What points uh, or, or clarifications or questions or comments do our other jury members have regarding this section, uh, specifically related to uh, any help you may need making your decision on voting? I just want to point out he joined Magneto and I think Magneto is always right. So I do too. Thank you. Uh, Derek. I was just going to say, I'm impressed by both councils. That was quite impressive. Uh, Alicia, what were you going to say? Just, just, I agree. Magneto all the way, baby. <laughs> I choose Magneto over Charles any day. So, but it's not, we're not talking about Magneto or Charles. Uh, but we are. We're talking about the blob and his actions and his decisions to go for it. And not just Magneto, but also the changeling and the, the mutant the, master. The mutant master, like these, these shadowy figures plotting world domination. Yes, Magneto is great. Sometimes, and, and I would argue Magneto was not right. Magneto made valid points. He went about them in very extreme ways. And that is also on trial here with Blob's actions. Because he was, he was pushed to the extreme because he wasn't given a political process that was responsive to him. The most, what happened in America, that's why we're not a colony anymore. 
when you read these pages or read these issues, the most directly involved that Blob is, is in that first storyline where he definitely wants the X-Men dead. And he definitely wants that like bomb in the satchel to go off so that they, people will die. Like he's very intent. But one of the arguments we make on these trials often is, was it effective? Did it happen? How culpable was he? Uh, intention is not always the same as execution, which is just something to factor in. Uh, are we ready to vote on trial point one? So let me just read the voting scale one more time and I'll only do this this once. Number one is justifiable action. Two is morally concerning. Three is definitely inappropriate. Four, over the line into criminal behavior. And five, pure evil. Let's can I, can I Can I ask a qualifying question? Yes. When you say criminal behavior, do you mean things that are against the spirit of the law or the letter of the law because those are two different things i think uh you get to decide what that means i think okay. my scale is not perfect but escalating numbers mean the the higher you vote the shittier he was okay. <laughs> uh let's go with alicia first i feel like for a lot of this trial i'm gonna have a very similar reaction and i'm gonna go three okay Noel. I think he showed some lack of judgment, but I'm going to go too. I don't really think it's that bad. Gabriella? Well, I'm going to say one because I'm a zealous advocate for my client. <laughs> uh, Derek. So if he had been successful in helping these people, Murder. hundreds of millions of people would have died. Everywhere. So I've got to go with uh, five. Okay. Uh, it is going to be a two for me on this section. I feel like this section of his history, I can excuse a little bit. But the farther it goes, the less likely I am to give him excuse. And Justin. Knowing plots to take over the world and murder millions. Y'all are ridiculous. Five all the way. Put that man in jail. <laughs> Put that man in the ground. Oh, excuse me. What? Did Where just... he can't move if he's in the ground. Okay. No, I'm not yeah. the blob. I don't condone murder. I feel like that was you saying you want him to be dead because you can't breathe when you're underground. <laughs> okay. That is an assumption. The, <laughs> the best punishment for him is to suspend him in the air because then he can't touch the ground, which means his powers don't <laughs> really fall. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that gives us a score of 18 out of 30 in this section. Uh, let's go to trial point two. Uh, Gabriella will be the prosecution on this one with Noel on the defense. Uh, <laughs> Noel just made the best like Carol Burnett face. <laughs> uh, okay, so this section I just called predatory behavior. Over the years, Blob's, Blob, Blob's, Blob has had a series of capers where he was unnecessarily predatory and cruel. In his earliest appearance, he flirted with the teenage Jean Grey, which we don't necessarily need to recount here. Later, Blob joined with Eunice and Mastermind and used illusions of cash to purchase the captive X-Men from a guy named Gustav Kruger. After getting scrubbed in a bath by several women, Blob had Mastermind use his powers to make Blob look like Cyclops so that he could flirt with Jean Grey. Ultimately, they're defeated. Of course, this story was in X-Men The Hidden Years, numbers 11 through 14. While working with Freedom Force, Blob and Pyro were sent to arrest the teenage mutant Amanda Fallows, and they ended up battling Daredevil. During this time, Blob acted like he wanted to harm or violate Amanda, 
objectifying her uncomfortably before they fought Daredevil. And this story was in Daredevil number 269. After his time on Freedom Force, Blob was left stranded in the Middle East before Toad rescued him and recruited him to a new team of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. In their first caper, they kidnapped Carl Lycos and Tanya Anderson, and Blob watched as Toad used a device to drain Tanya's life force, killing her in order to turn Lycos back into Sauron. They then had a savage battle with the newly formed X-Force. And this story is in X-Force Volume 1, numbers 5 through 7. Uh, let's turn it over to Gabriella for the prosecution. I have less of a speech prepared for this one, but I don't think it needs it because I think we all get the yaks when we read about this stuff. So I'm just going to read from rain.org, the definition of consent, okay? Consent is an agreement between participants to engage in sexual activity. Consent should be clearly and freely, asterisk, communicated. A verbal and affirmative expression of consent can help both you and your partner understand and respect each other's boundaries. Consent cannot be given by individuals who are underage, intoxicated, or incapacitated by drugs or alcohol or asleep or unconscious. Someone agrees to an activity under pressure of intimidation or threat that isn't considered consent because it was not given freely. Unequal power dynamics, such as engaging in sexual activity with an employee or student may also mean, also mean that consent cannot be freely given. So in all three of the examples that Chad just said, um, I think it's safe to say that it creates a visceral feeling of ew, but visceral feelings of ew do not make the law, except when they do, but this is not one of those times. So um, let's take this one by one, okay? The first thing, which is in the X-Men Hidden Years, 11 through 14, um, he flirted with Jean Grey. He um, participated in human trafficking. And he was scrubbed in a bath and then pretended to uh, be Cyclops so he could flirt with Jean Grey. Now, I, Chad, want to bring up an issue I have with how you worded that. Because it says... Blob had Mastermind use his powers to make Blob look like Cyclops so he could flirt with Jean Grey. But what actually happened was he had Jean Grey in bed and he was looking like Cyclops and he was like, come on, let's do it. And she was like, oh, I don't know. She was saying no. And then Mastermind's powers went away against the will of the Blob. And he said, well, it was worth a shot. So clearly that was not just flirting, that was an attempted rape. All I'm saying, it was a little bit more serious than I think people are people are led to believe when they see it on paper. Yeah. So that's pretty horrible. The second thing is in uh, Daredevil 269, when they're supposed to arrest a mutant who's a teenager, he was creepy towards both two women, both women in this entire story, there was a bartender who he was grabbing onto, and then Amanda Fowler's obviously he, you know, 
was being very creepy. He said he had dibs, basically. And then when Pyro got there first and was, like, grabbing onto her, he said that she was ruined as if she was, like, food that was spoiled. And I don't really feel like that is ever acceptable. Now, going back to the bartender, um, before they meet Amanda Fellows, he gets drunk and starts grabbing onto the bartender. She's saying, let go of me. The other patrons are saying, hey, let go of her. And he creeped the men in that establishment out so much that they opened fire inside of a bar. Now, I have never seen anybody open fire inside of a bar. I've seen fights, and they never got that bad. So I feel like maybe we should trust the witnesses in this situation who reacted with lethal force to how aggressive he was being. Um, Now, the third time uh, he was an accomplice to murder, that's all I have to say about that. Um, The end, that's how I feel. I feel that he was um, unbelievably predatory. I understand looking at it from a different perspective. The defense will probably say that he's a lonely person and that he, um, you know, he was he was ignored by a lot of people and didn't understand social, um, you know, social behavior because he didn't have a lot of experience. But I don't know, I feel like he didn't really listen to the feedback that the people pointing guns at him were giving. But that's just me. Now it's actually the end. Sorry. You're great. And Noel. All right. This is hard. Um, I'm going to defend what I can. And. You've been here enough time. You've been here enough times. I feel okay challenging you. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I I always take this very seriously and I always defend them when I have to defend them, but this one's rough guys. So uh, first of all, he wanted revenge against the X-Men, which I mentioned before, completely understandable, pretty shitty behavior from them. They're not accepting of him. They're not, um, they're not the good guys for the blob. Um, and they erased his memory and took away his um, growth that he found from learning that he's a mutant. So he spends a lot of this episode and the issue um, fighting the X-Men and he's using Mastermind's powers to do so and to get some of that revenge, um, which I think, you know, turn about fair play here because they fucked with his mind, so he's messing with theirs. And there was the charge of human trafficking, which I just want to point out, he did not actually engage in paying for them. It was also a trick. Um, and capturing heroes is standard villain practice. It did not, I think, uh, fall into actual human trafficking. He did not give real money. It was fake money. Um, and so. I don't think we can charge that as human trafficking. That's just captured by a typical villain. Um, Yeah, that's really all I got for defense, Chad. (laughs) I can't even touch anything about Jean or Amanda or the bartender as the defense, so. Uh, I would argue in defense, although I have points on both sides, again, effectiveness, how like things did not turn out in the way he planned. Uh, um, 
in the second <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to say this in the Daredevil issue, uh, which was written by Anne Nascenti, and I actually got to ask her about this issue uh, when I interviewed her a few weeks ago. So uh, check that out if you haven't uh, heard it yet. Hasn't been released yet, so nobody's heard it. But uh, uh, um, there's a little bit of locker room talk. <laughs> he never actually harms Amanda, but he's kind of bragging to his buddy about how he's gonna, which is disgusting because she's a teenager and like a very vulnerable teen. So I'm not even coming down in his defense except to say that he never actually did anything except wanted to do things, at least verbally, uh, which is still gross. Uh, so locker room talk's not a good defense, but just tossing that out. Uh, so flipping okay, it back I, to the, oh, sorry, go ahead. I have, okay, I, I can try. And I don't agree with anything that I'm about to say, but uh, <laughs> one of my problems with the blob in all of these stories and all of his interactions with women is it falls into very, incel type thinking i think at one point like he says i deserve this one because you got the last girl um so i guess in a way you could look at that as sort of like being brainwashed a little bit um so maybe he doesn't know how bad he's being i don't know that's all i got let me turn it back to the jury what points of clarification what comments do you have on this section? Alicia, let me check in with you as the as the other girl in the team. How are you doing with this section? <laughs> I feel for Noel. Um, that's a rough bag to have to try to defend it. And honestly, like, there's no getting past the gene of it all. Like that right there. I don't care what actually happened. I know what your intent is in the situation, sir, and um, it's not going well for you in my rating of your actions, Mr. Blob. Um, yeah, go ahead. Ask. What are you, what are you going to ask? No, I was just going to say even worse. He stood by while Toad murdered Tanya Anderson and just like watched it happen and laughed about it. It was it's that, that even more is so, so heinous. It's just, you know, it's there's no excuse because the thing is, if Blob was himself in a situation with Jean and he was trying something with her and she wasn't interested, that's one thing. But he knew that he was Cyclops. He knew he was appearing as someone that she would theoretically give consent to. So that's just like 7 billion times worse than just trying something on his own like that. There's no getting past the fact that that disguise or that ruse was meant to lead to something else. And all the rest of it doesn't even matter to me because of that. Isn't, it that, um, isn't it that it wouldn't be informed consent at that point? So right. consent is impossible at that point. Right. Mm -hmm. Which we'll do, we'll get to the trial of Mastermind eventually, but there's a lot of rapey shit in that guy's history. Uh, Gross. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, I, can no one be on the defense on that? Yeah, Just be solid just, prosecution all I'm, the way. I'm sick that weekend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are we ready to vote on this section? Yep. Uh, Alicia. Five. I am also going five. The Gene stuff is a four for me, but the Tanya Anderson thing is absolutely a five. Justin. 
Uh, <laughs> I'd say three to four, probably four. Noel? Every interaction with this woman, with a woman in this is a five. Derek? Uh, five for the same reasons that you mentioned, Chad. And Gabriella? Five, and I feel like we're only at point number two, and almost all of us are saying five. So nowhere to go but down. That's great. I'm really excited. I actually, I actually genuinely love this character, but these were creepy stories, like the the ones we put in here. Yeah, it's uh, okay. Let's go to trial. So that gives us a 29 out of 30, which is maybe the highest we've ever rated in one section. <laughs> yeah. Trial, trial point three is what we just call criminal behavior. We have Derek on prosecution, Alicia on defense. So uh, I'm covering a lot of stuff kind of lumped together. These are stories from different parts of his timeline, but I just picked some uh, some cherry, or cherry picked a few of, of his criminal actions over the years. In X-Men Spider-Man number one, uh, uh, Blob is hired by Craven the Hunter as a thug who sends him then to fight Spider-Man and the X-Men. In Defenders number one, verse uh, number 63, excuse me, Defenders volume one, number 63 through 65, Blob joined a group of villains who called themselves the Defenders and they battled the heroic Defenders while trying to steal diamonds. There's a particular moment in this issue where Blob is choking Hellcat seemingly with the intent to kill her. Uh, he says something like, I'm going to take all nine of your lives away. Uh, so that, that, that one is a little bit tough. Uh, in X-Factor number 107, we see Bob Blob battling Strong Guy in an attempt to hijack an entire airplane for kind of selfish reasons. In X-Force number 52, we see Blob kind of mutated. Uh, his powers have grown kind of exponentially after being uh, experimented on by Sledge and Onslaught. And he's been sent to steal Nimrod, Nimrod technology and battles the women of X-Force in a pretty crazy uh, battle. And then finally, in Peter Parker, Spider-Man number 11, we see Blob trying to rob an armored car with uh, Spider-Man stopping him. So kind of tossing just a few random stories together there. Let me hear uh, Derek on the prosecution, please. Okay. Uh, I will say that uh, I'm not a lawyer in real life, but this is my first time pretending to be a lawyer on a podcast. So thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm so happy you're here. So the prosecution would like to group these into three sections. Uh, the first one is general misdemeanor assault, breaking and entering and trespassing and stuff. And that's uh, what we saw, um, for example, in the X-Force volume one, number 52. Uh, Dukes went looking for a fight with the X-Men uh, after having his powers jacked. Uh, he ended up fighting with Siren, Domino and Boom Boom. No contest there. Ultimately, um, they were both in on this fight. It took two groups of people to participate and make a fight. Um, that's why we're, the prosecution is not going for a larger than a misdemeanor assault on this. It certainly occurred. It's not a strong charge, but the reason prosecution bring this first is because um, this shows a pattern of violence in all of his crimes. Second of all, we've got the attempted hijacking in X-Factor 107. And this is well-established. We have witnesses, including the pilot, the air crew, the ground crew, the passengers, and someone who goes by the name of Strong Guy. And um, <laughs> in this case, I just want to point out that U.S. Code 46502, aircraft piracy, an attempt to commit aircraft piracy 
in uh, this is punishable as an offense for up to 20, uh, at least 20 years. And that's the attempt, not the success. Um, and that's uh, nailed down. The bank robbery um, that we observed in Defender 64 and 65 um, is covered under Title 18, Section 2113 of the U.S. Code. Prison sentences usually begin around 10 years in prison will reach 25 for standard robbery charge. However, it's important to point out that this is a repeat offense. He did this also in X-Men 20. So the thing is that we have a pattern here of somebody going and attacking federal institutions. So right now there is a statute of limitations of five years, but I'd like to pull in the brief or defense uh, of this, which is there's a sliding time scale. And so this still fits within the statute of limitations. Uh, delicious. I love it. <laughs> and uh, Alicia for the defense. Well, okay then. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Okay. Listen, listen. Listen, let's be real about the level of crime that happened in all of these stories and all of these instances, the number of people involved and um, the amount of time that Blob appears on the page, a.k.a. the amount of time that Blob is involved in the action. It's all very minimal, except for a couple of instances. but. We really need to look at the world of superheroes and supervillains and know that without these tiny crimes, there can be no supervillain superheroes. So we're doing Bob's doing the world a favor by allowing the heroes to thrive by committing tiny crimes, just tiny crimes. Just stealing a car, maybe some diamonds, just basic robbery business. Okay. Sometimes people get aggressive and so he has to react, but he's not starting the fighting. He's just doing a baby crime and then someone else is escalating and he's responding. Okay. And and also, he's very rarely the leader or the person initiating the crime. He's generally sent to do someone else's bidding in all of these situations or most of these situations. Someone else is puppet mastering him. So he can't be held responsible, solely responsible for the actions of all of these other organizations and all of these other villains. And I would just like to say from a very um, non- what can I, how can I put this? Um, strong guy started it. Okay. The blob was just trying to get on a plane and strong guy had to talk about how the blob could not possibly fit because he was too fat and decided the two of them needed to have a rumble in the terminal because of this. So again, strong guy started it, not the blob's fault. And then it escalated because all of the X Factor had to be involved. Why? Uh, it's just it's just X Force, whichever one they are, the the X team. <laughs> all I'm saying is, I understand these are crimes, but what we're dealing with here is a number system of sentencing, and you all really need to consider these crimes in comparison to other crimes, and that these are baby baby crimes that keep the superhero, super villain 
world going. And without them, we wouldn't even be here. So really, we should be thanking the blob for doing things like stealing cars and stealing diamonds and getting in on the fun with other supervillains. Because if he wasn't doing that, we wouldn't be here. There would be no superheroes. And also, they're baby crimes, okay? Babies. These are like one, two number crimes. (laughs) I love all five of you so much. (laughs) What uh, clarifying points or comments from the jury do we have here? Your Honor, I'd like to plead baby crimes. Uh, They were just baby, baby crimes. I didn't really do anything bad. It was just... (laughs) baby shit get out of here i mean what else can i say for a defense honestly (laughs) i think there is an element if i'm taking this section seriously of what can the blob do in real life what kind of life can he create as a mutant who stands out uh taking things that aren't his or accepting work for people who will pay him to have a living Uh, we have to balance that with the sense of entitlement and superiority and the temper that's kind of constantly part of his character. But this whole kind of world owes me something approach. This section does feel like baby crimes in comparison to last section. (laughs) I think think we can kind of see it. But also, these are very prosecutable defenses, as Derek brought up. Like, these are very wrong things to do. I wasn't Um, prepared for Derek's. Um, years of sentencing and his his knowledge of crimes. So my argument feels sad in comparison. But there's just, you know, he's not the ringleader. Yeah. So like we got to put the whole organization on trial here if we're going to prosecute for these things because he can't be held responsible. Your Honor, strong guy started it. You know, like, <laughs> I only stole that plane because strong guy started it. Listen, <laughs> Noel, were you going to say something? Point. I was because the crimes may be baby, but I do feel like there is an escalation here from the last section of harassing women. I don't know if it's an escalation from attempted rape. That, I don't know. That starts to get the crimes that you can't really rank, but into actually trying to murder women. Like that's a clear escalation of behavior. It was not covered by the defense as much as I loved it. (laughs) Self-defense. Some of them were self-defense. Hellcat, we're just not going to talk about. But the other (laughs) ones, I'm going to plead self-defense on those. He is he is pretty rough with Hellcat. If you go back and read that story, you're like, oof. That was yeah, that's why I just left it out of my defense. (laughs) Just don't talk about it. To be fair, she did fry everybody's mind after that. I think they kind of deserved it. <laughs> That's a nuts story. That whole Defenders run, that Steve Gerber era, it's crazy. The whole thing is nuts. Uh, are we ready to vote on this section? I have a clarifying question. It will come, it will, it will be part of my reasoning. How much does Blob eat? Do I don't you know. know. I don't know that we have an answer to that question. I think he weighs upwards of 500 pounds. Uh, oh, okay. He probably, so- he probably needs quite a bit of energy to sustain his powers. Uh, I imagine he eats a fair bit, and that's not a bad comment. That's a sustaining energy so, comment. So, so Papa's got to eat, and you know, you need money to buy food. Okay, just, just, just asking a clarifying question. Okay. What were Ready? you going to say, Derek? 
I was going to say uh, a 200 pound man needs about 2,000, 2,500 calories a day. So if we're saying he's 500 pounds, I would guess with extra mutant metabolism, maybe five to 10,000 calories a day. That's probably fair, actually. Uh, okay, so let's vote. Gabrielle, you're first. I was so by Alicia, so I'm going to say only because besides the um, personal, like physical attacks to other people, um, everything else is insurable. So I'm going to say one. Oh, wow. Uh, Noel. Yeah. I'm anti-capitalist. I'm sorry. I'm say one. No, I love it. All right. Mine is uh, balancing the escalation of violence against women versus the fact that I respect the hustle of villains who steal diamonds. So I'm going to go three. It is a three for me as well. Alicia? Oh, it's a one all day, baby. Baby crimes. Derek? I think between the bank robbery stuff and the attempted hijacking, he, we're looking at more than 45 years. But when you add in the attempted murder of Hellcat, I think we're adding 10 to 15 years. So I'm a four. And Justin? It's a four. It's definitely criminal behavior. It's not justifiable, but it's not pure evil. You know, he's just getting by. He's just doing some baby crimes. Baby crimes. So that gives us a 16 out of 30. And then let's go to uh, trial point four. This is a section we call unnecessarily cruel behavior. Uh, prosecution is, uh, I'm, I've been excited to do this for months. <laughs> I'm pitting the ex-wife podcast against each other. Prosecution is Alicia and defense is Justin. And I'm so excited. Okay. Trial point four. Blob with other villains once sent the Sentinels to destroy some of the X-Men who had joined the superhero champions team. This is in champions volume one, number 17. Alongside different incarnations of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, Blob tried assassinating the politician Robert Kelly. Uh, the first time they were unsuccessful, but they went back a second time and did assassinate him. And these stories are in Uncanny X-Men Volume 1, numbers 140 through 142, and Cable Volume 1, number 87. And the third story is alongside the Brotherhood, Blob savagely fought the X-Men with the intent to kill some of their members and allies in Uncanny X-Men number 177 and 178. Uh, let's turn it over to Alicia for the prosecution. All right, everybody. Here's the deal. In these scenarios, Blob knows what he's doing. And he's proud of it. He is constantly praising himself for being a villain, gloating about the fact that he has been in prison and he would gladly go back. He has no shame in any of these instances. He actively lures the Sentinels to the X-Men. He knows what he is doing. This is all about intent and pride in villainy and not being afraid to murder someone to get your point across. And it doesn't need much more of an explanation than that. When he is with the Brotherhood, he is thrilled to be with them. He is 100% ready to go back to jail. Let me do the evil things. I'm ready to go back to jail. He's asking you to put him in prison. He's asking you 
to give him a five. Nothing would make Blob happier than to be recognized as the most evil. He wants to climb the ladder of evil villainy. He wants to show you how terrible he can be. And he doesn't feel sorry about it. He even pretends that he's scared of the Sentinels so that he can put others in harm's way. He knows what he's doing. And I don't have to say anything else about it. Give him a five. Thank you. Goodbye. Uh, before Justin goes, I want to clarify. I saw your facial expression and I made a mistake. In cable number 87, Senator Robert Kelly is not assassinated as a result of he's that. Fine. He's fine, but he's, he's fine. killed shortly after that in X-Men volume two, number 108. So no, my apologies. I did make that mistake. So he but attacked. The blob would love it if he was dead. That's true. And he would he celebrate it and he would run through the streets and scream. Emotions are not on trial at this moment, woman. All right, go ahead. Make your case. Hunted and persecuted. That's where we find young Frederick at the start of this section in his history. Literally running for his life from a sentinel attack. Even the champions. You had your time. Even the champions, former Avengers, are helpless to stop them. These three mutants had only recently been aged back to their prime. Should they not enjoy the same grace that Magneto had in his trial? How can we possibly hold them accountable for anything beforehand? How can we even try them as adults? I digress. All that's in question here is what's being done here. And it is the Vanisher who is the mastermind of this plot, not Blob. Frederick Dukes was only caught up in the act, childlike innocence corrupted by a thirst for power and vengeance. A prison escape aided by Mystique, Fred is then used as a hired hand. Their target is Senator Kelly, someone who is actively trying to stoke fear around mutants as an entire species. Moira points out he seems to have already made up his mind. Registration for mutants today, gas chambers tomorrow. I'm not condoning the actions of Mystique's brotherhood, but highlighting the need for Kelly's campaign to be stopped. Was their attack misguided? Yes but it was guided by Raven Darkholm. Someone Fred is seen disagreeing with and refusing to take orders from. Later, we see Robert Kelly's plans are called dangerous and unconstitutional by the President of the United States. He's seen collaborating with Sebastian Shaw, a known terrible person. Fred's battle with the X-Men later on in 177 and 178 is merely a distraction so that the real criminal, Mystique, can get away with her murder attempt on the professor. Has Fred done some questionable activity? Yes. Haven't we all? He surely isn't a completely innocent man, but what he has specifically done is in no way as grave as it seems to be intended. Thank you. No, you're not welcome. (laughs) Okay, clarifying points and questions from the jury members in this section. Uh, in that assault of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants on the X-Men in 177-178, wasn't Colossus gravely, gravely maimed in that? Okay, I just wanted to clarify that that was one of the consequences. Thank you. He was hurt by afterwards. He was hurt badly, but it was more due to Avalanche and Pyro than Blob directly. But it was a planned thing. They had backed up a truck and the whole group had organized it. Yeah, correct. Group effort. 
I do want to bring in the destiny of it, of it all as well. I think some of these actions are we have a mutant who can see the future. And unless this politician is stopped, we're going to be facing dire consequences as a race. I think that is a piece of all this as well. You know, desperate times call for desperate, desperate measures. And the X-Men have proven time and time again to stop the Brotherhood in their activities. So because they're evil and they deserve to be stopped. Because they're freedom fighters who are then hired by the government to keep the peace amongst the mutant people. But because Senator Kelly is the one that should be on trial here today. But because the Brotherhood is full of all evil mutants together collaboratively. All guilty. It's just like a pickup group. You know, they're just friends. It's just a pickup group. Any other clarifying points on this section? Gabriella Noel, you guys good? Okay, let's uh, vote. Uh, in this section, we will start with uh, Justin this time. Oh, uh, let me let me see how low can I go. What what are, what are my things again? Sorry, hold on. Who knows? You just got excited to just yell things at me. I did. It was fun. I knew when I saw it. I was like, Chad knows what he's doing. <laughs> I'm gonna say two. I chose it on the funnest section too. <laughs> uh, Noel, Noel, what's your vote? Um, I'm gonna go three. Uh, Derek, I'm going to remove the the attempted assassination of uh, Senator Kelly because I'm going to classify that as political crime, which is different. When you take just the other assaults. I think um, in the Champions and the Uncanny X-Men, I think I'm at a four, definitely criminal. Gabriella? Feels like I'm, oh, I feel like I'm at a, I'm at a three. And uh, Alicia, I love you, but Justin, you persuaded me. It's a two here. Uh, Alicia, what is your vote? Well, it's a four for me. Get this out of my face. Free Fred! Free Fred! <laughs> okay, so we have, a, we have a total score of 18 out of 30 in this section. And then we're going to bring it to our final one, which is just one single storyline. And in my opinion, in my reading, this was the most uncomfortable story for me. And this is after the predatory behavior section earlier. This story was rough for me. Okay, so this is in uh, uh, All New X-Men, Volume 2, Numbers 4 through 7. We have uh, Noel on prosecution and Derek on defense. Uh, in my, I, I'm biased, I will say it in advance. This section is called Blob at His Worst. <laughs> in my opinion, Blob is at his worst in this appearance. During this time, he has rare animals slaughtered so that he can eat them. Uh, he savagely fights the all-new X-Men team, which is the original X-Men brought forward to the present from the past. So they are all, all teenage versions. He horribly beats X-23 or Laura Kinney Wolverine and uh, and harms the others before he's finally defeated. So I'm, I'm being loose on my summary, so you guys can cover some of it in your uh, discussions. But this was the roughest story for me. Uh, let me turn it over to Noel for the prosecution. So at this time, we see the blob giving into every cruel instinct that he has and enjoying it. He, I just want to emphasize, is having fun in this story. Um, he's fought the X-Men a whole bunch of times, but his attack on Laura especially was extremely brutal. Um, 
Warren Worthington actually thought that she was dead, despite the fact that she can, you know, has the healing factor and everything. He, he thought she was dead. Um, and the whole animal thing, it's not clear where he's getting these animals, or at least I didn't see it, Chad. Um, I don't think this were from like legit hunting expeditions or something. So just because he's enjoying hurting people so much, I feel like we have to assume there's some animal cruelty involved. He's also trying to like hold chef hostage to make them cook these animals for him. You know, and they're just trying to work. Like that's really messed up. That is a cook. They have a busy job. They're working very hard. And then he shows up and holds them hostage and says, cook this like giant, it's a full carcass. It has fur and everything. Like that's, that's not fair to them. Um, and he also recognizes that the X-Men that he's fighting are the younger versions of themselves. So he knows that these are not the X-Men that he's been facing over the years. He knows that they're, they're young, they're babies. And he has no problem trying to kill baby X-Men. So to clarify, Noel, in All New X-Men Volume 2, Number 4, we see Blob walk into uh, what is called a rare and exceptionally rare and exotic zoological park outside Paris, France. He walks into an animal cage and kills the animal and then takes it to the chef to eat. So (laughs) that's the story. Thank you, because I did not see that. You're you're welcome. Definite, definite animal cruelty. And then uh, over to Derek for the defense. Okay, Your Honor, um, this is all nonsense. Uh, this this <laughs> is a farce. Um, first of all, it was one animal, not multiple animals. Um, and my client, he trespassed and he destroyed a wall in the exceptionally rare and exotic zoological park. That is true. And my client is fully prepared to pay for civil damages, but the animal attacked him. Once it was dead from self-defense, he didn't want to waste it. That's not what I would have picked, but it's a choice that has its own logic. Um, Now, we will point out that this all occurred in France and in 2021, tough new animal protection laws were introduced in France, meaning that the mistreatment of animals is now punishable by up to four years in prison and an equivalent fine of 50,000 euros. However, Mr. Dukes had the unfortunate encounter with the violent animal in 2016, five years before this law. So the law at the time said that um, animal sentience only applies to owned vertebrates. Wild animals were specifically excluded from the sentient status and French law treats all animals as goods in practice. Um, So Mr. Dukes is not guilty of criminal animal cruelty. He defended himself against a wild animal. And at most, he's guilty of property damage because animals in France under this law regime are property and goods. He's liable for some civil damages to the zoo, possibly public health violations for slaughtering an animal uh, outside of an abattoir. Um, On the subject of killing, nearly killing several mutant terrorists, he was in a restaurant negotiating for culinary services when he was assaulted by the ultra-violent Wolverine clone X-23 with her claws drawn with an intent to maim him. My client does not have a healing factor. Anything X-23 did to him would be permanent maiming damage. Um, The other 
thing I've heard from the prosecution is that the X-Men, because they're underage, are somehow less dangerous. I think that's nonsense. These are mutant terrorists. He was also assaulted by an overpowered angel. And while defending himself, it should be noted that Mr. Dukes got the chef to safety and quite clearly sought to de-escalate the situation because when faced with an opportunity to talk to Angel, Dukes walked away. Um, but he was immediately required to engage in self-defense again when he was startled by the war criminal beast. Uh, he was then attacked by the extrajudicial mutant group, Cyclops, Iceman, Kid Apocalypse, and uh, Idio Konko, and overpowered in this way and faced with lethal force, Mr. Dukes, my client, did what any attack party would do. He fought to protect his own life. So if you wish to put Mr. Dukes on trial for assault or aggravated assault or whatever it is, the defense suggests that this trial is missing seven co-defendants. Their names are X-23, Angel, Cyclops, Beast, Iceman, Kid Apocalypse, and Idio Konko. <laughs> Y'all, Derek came to play. <laughs> Oh my God, this is lovely. I love it so much. Uh, what clarifying points uh, or or questions do our jury members have before we jo uh, vote in this section? No, I'll go I have ahead. some clarifying points. Um, if I walk into somebody's house and they attack me, if I fight back, I'm no longer acting in self-defense. I have entered their home. That animal was in its home and it was attacked. Was that home not a business? No, the, the zoo? Zoo was a business that you visit. Okay. Oh, I mean, the zoo was inside the habitat. <laughs> the zoo was, but later they attack him in the restaurant. So the this story for me, I think part of what made it so uncomfortable is we see Blob almost go too far a lot of times, but it's not usually his hands that are committing the ultra violence. We see a lot of threats and predatory behavior. But this story with X23 in particular is one when he finally crosses that line for me. Like it takes it from like uncomfortable or threatening to like he's just really fucking like mass murder creepy almost in that in the portrayal here. Uh, yes, she has a healing factor and yes, she did attack him first, but he's wearing a suit and he is pissed and he's beaten up teenagers and it's so uncomfortable i really this story i mean it's visceral you want a good villain right but uh yeah this story really like oof like it turned my guts a little bit to the okay. to the point of the original five x-men there's a lot of negative trauma associated with them and their experience with him and, and seeing Fair. them might trigger you in a way also connecting to the number of times that wolverine logan had aggressed Fred in in ways that uh, consistently calling him Tubbo and and uh, other derogatory names in every one of their encounters. Oh, I, I that's Laura's fault. I would see that as a very triggering situation to be in that might act might force him to act outside of what he would normally do in in good judgment. And then we were talking about the number of calories that this man has to intake. I you know food is probably a very important thing in his world. And yeah, he expended a huge number of calories carrying that dead animal around, finding a restaurant, harassing a chef who is just at work. Uh, <laughs> uh, as we are, or any final points? Uh, Gabriella, it looks like you have something to say. Yeah. Are there animal cruelty laws in France? Because in America, animals are considered property, but we do have animal cruelty laws. So if, if animals are killed 
you still are, if like your pet gets killed, you're still owed the value of the pet as if it's property, but they still do have animal cruelty laws, so you can't be cruel about it. Well, regardless, this was not his pet. It was a specifically protected animal in a zoological space for protected animals. Right. I'm just saying, like, I don't think it could be said that it was just property that was protected. I think... I think it's elevated a little bit, but I was curious about if France had, Derek, do you know does France have animal cruelty laws? Well, based on my research at the time, this animal would not have been considered sentient because it was before 2021 and it would have been uh, treated legally as goods. The defense is presenting some very interesting trivia regarding French law. Um, But I think this is a question about morality, and I don't think, Chad, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't think this jury has to abide abide by French laws. We are are by mutant podcasting laws. (laughs) (laughs) I will point out that the alleged offense occurred in the territory of France. That's fair. So. Uh, Alicia, I want to apologize as to say this in advance, but I take so much pleasure in watching your stress slowly rise during these discussions. <laughs> I just like, I even just like, I'm listening and I'm like, oh my, I gotta, next time I gotta like research some laws and like, just come with a different, just different game and just have need a different strategy because I'm going to be outwitted at every turn if I don't. Oh, you do you. I think uh, I think everything everyone is bringing to the table is delicious. It's so fun. Uh, okay, let's vote on this final section, and then we'll get final scores. Uh, so in the final section, Noel, what is your vote? I'm going to go four. And Derek? Uh, one. Gabriella? I'm going to say five. Uh, it is a four for me here. Alicia? I just like, listen, Derek, I'm sorry, but I always have to have Noel's back. I'm going four on this one. (laughs) And Justin. I think it's a three to four, but probably four. Uh, Okay, which gives us a, I got to add, hang on, 22 out of 30. So I will tabulate final scores here. Uh, Actually, I can do it right now as we are talking. This gives gives Blob a 60... 9% 9% on the asshole scale, which is as high as Professor nice. X and as high as Quicksilver, uh, which is fair because he has a lot of shitty stories. <laughs> um, Magneto has been uh, uh, in the 50s. Juggernaut has been our lowest score at 44%, which is fascinating. So it all depends on the jury and the discussion and the way we format things. Uh, as we are wrapping up here, let me have each of you share where you can be found online and what we have to look forward uh, coming out from you or the work you're doing. And then uh, just kind of a final question as we're wrapping up, what did you learn about the blob today that might stick with you? Uh, Has your mind changed about this character? Uh, What really stood out to you today? Uh, So let's uh, let's begin with Noelle. Yeah, so you can find my podcast, X-Men Unraveled, most places. I'm on Twitter at L Unraveled, E-L-L-E Unraveled, and Instagram at X-Men Unraveled. Um, And I also wanted to, I mentioned earlier, I work in the eating disorder world right now. I just do admissions. I'm not a therapist or anything, you know, special. But um, 
talking about fatness, I feel like it's worth mentioning that if you are struggling with eating disorder or with your body, there's lots of um, help out there. Um, feel free to hit me up, check out uh, Project Heal, H-E-A-L, uh, their website. They're good at connecting with resources. Um, and as far as what I learned about the blob, he's, I want to like him. I want to like him. Like he has these interesting facets to his character, but I don't know. He needs the redemption story that a lot of other villains have gotten and we haven't seen it yet. I mean, he's nice and happy on Krakoa, but we need that redemption story. I think that's fair. And Noelle and I got to do a really stunning interview with Linda Fight, uh, who's the first woman that ever worked at Marvel or wrote for Marvel. Uh, 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 that will be public has not been published yet, but will be by the time this trial comes out. So if you haven't heard it, please listen. Uh, it's really insightful and at a whole bunch of fun. Uh, let's have Alicia go next. Okay. Um, you can find Justin and I at the Ex Wife Podcast. Um, that is T H E. X. X. I always do it wrong all of a sudden. T H E X W I F E, as in X Men, not former wife. Um, the X Wife Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and at the X Wife Podcast.com. You can also find me if you're interested in following along on my cosplay journey um, at Wilder Moves, M O V E S. And um, what we've got coming up. Um, you know, we talk about new comics weekly on our show. I may or may not be playing with some Hellfire Gala looks. And um, I don't know. Justin, we got anything else happening? That's all we got. And hey, I'm Justin, and this has been a lot of fun. And oh, oh thoughts about Blob. Um, moments of, of humanity surrounded by a, a bunch of creepy and criminal behavior. You know, is is like they, they, it really gave me appreciation for who he is beyond the the villain, but also reinforced the fact that he's a villain, mm. uh, at least in the classic continuity. I do like where he's going now, and I, I dig the handlebar mustache that he's rocking on Krakoa, and so I think you know, all in all, is looking good for Dukes. Fantastic, uh, Derek. Uh, my name is uh, my my Twitter handle is probably the easiest way to find me. Derek Kunsken, K-U-N-S-K-E-N, uh, Derek, no spaces. Um, in May, uh, my novel, The House of Sticks, uh, is coming out in trade paperback format. So that'll be available everywhere. Um, one thing I learned about the blog was um, he referred to that animal he killed as roast beast he wanted, which leads me to believe that he is a fan of the Grinch who stole Christmas, <laughs> which uh, very much uh, tickles my uh, my fancy. And and I will say too, uh, Alicia, um, I'm not sure that I would change your game because your um, your baby crimes defense, uh, I think <laughs> I I was mostly sold. So yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Baby I'll stick crimes. to what I'm good at. Just baby crimes. Derek, is there anything coming out that you're able to announce right now? Uh, other than the House of Sticks trade paperback, no, I've got a few things happening that I've got NDA signed for, but um, yeah, I can't talk yet. Uh, I've only read one of Derek's books thus far, The Quantum Magician. It is wonderful. Your ability to world build is stunning. And Derek and I recently got to interview the incredible cover artist, Maria Wolf, together. Uh, we have a lot of conversations about trauma and its impact and Jean Grey specifically. So check out that episode if you have not. Another one that has not yet been released, but will be very soon. 
Uh, and then let's finally get to uh, Gabriella. Hi. Hi. Um, what am I supposed to say? So Blob Story uh, and where people can find you and if anything's coming out. Okay, right. Okay. So um, you can find me at my blog, uh, thegirlwhosits.com. And you can find me on Instagram at thegirlwhosits with underscores between every letter because the girl who sits got stolen by somebody else um but on twitter it is just at the girl who sits and then i also have a facebook page um yeah the i don't have anything coming up really um because i'm moving but check on my twitter i always have sarcastic comments there and then uh, my instagram will probably have things maybe hopefully too pictures of my house that's brand new so well, you've got a you've got a, a a live stream that you do pretty regularly too as well correct i do but i'm not doing it in may because i won't have my computer set up that's so right. i usually do it uh sunday saturdays and sundays but not not anytime soon so maybe someday check my social media um as far as the blob i you know, not to make it too profound, but I did kind of at first think like, oh, this poor guy, like he, you know, just never had a chance. And I think that going through all of the horrible things he did, did remind me that no matter what position you're in in society, at the end of the day, you do have a choice about how you want to react to that and how cruel you want to be because, he didn't have to be this mean, but he was. And not that that's not like forgivable under the right circumstances, but I don't know. I think it also didn't really have to happen. You don't have to be a creep just because you get rejected. Um, I guess that's the biggest lesson for us all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know I'm a little heavy handed with my compliments sometimes, but I genuinely adore and respect each of you in this room. Thank you for the gift of your time and talents and wit on this uh, lovely Saturday afternoon. I had so much fun. I am leaving with uh, a fundamental understanding of this complex character. And in real life, I think every criminal out there has a backstory and it's often a tragic one but we make a decision at a particular point as real people who aren't fictional characters to either use our pain for good or to use our pain to justify our actions and harming others and i think blob is a really interesting uh composite of those two sides uh he does need that redemptive story arc but i really like the character at the same time uh you can find i keep my own social media private because i've got kids but you can find me uh through graymalk and lane on instagram or graymalk and pp like podcast on twitter we have some stunning content coming out and some potential some really cool announcements coming up uh, our next uh, our next episode after this is going to be uh, featuring the professional Steve Fox, who's writing the X-Men 92 series. Uh, shortly after that, we're going to be having a panel discussion about body positivity in comics. So some really great things coming up. And uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. We will see you back here next time on Gray Malkin Lane. Oh, I always announce at the end of these who our next trial is going to be. Uh, so next month, we are going to be the, doing the trial of the Toad, uh, Mortimer Toynbee. And I just finished reading his chronology and I have a lot to say and a lot of notes so I'm super excited Uh, some of you here will be joining us back next month so we will see you back here next time on uh, Gray Malkin Lane thank you so much for listening to Gray Malkin Lane I'm pouring a lot of time labor and love into this podcast and I truly hope you are enjoying it we're seeking to create a unique space here and I'm really proud of what we've put out so far and really excited about what we have coming up 
Grimlock and Lane is recorded and edited at a private studio in Salt Lake City, Utah. Music and editing are done by my husband, Michael Bell. Gray Malkin Lane can be found on Twitter at Gray Malkin P, P like podcast, and on Instagram under Gray Malkin Lane. If you're enjoying our work, help us spread the word about this unique podcast. Please leave us a good review wherever you listen and check out our bonus content and fan engagement on Patreon. We'll see you back here next episode on Gray Malkin Lane.